You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I am Erin McCart, your therapist for today. <laughs> And I'm Erin McCourt. Welcome back, everyone. We're here to discuss the psyche today and personalities. That's right. (laughs) And we will not be talking like this the whole time because it really fucks with my voice. So (laughs) (laughs) We're so dumb. Okay. Yeah. So we discuss persona today, the dark truth about personality tests on HBO Max. 2021 release running about an hour and a half yep directed by tim travers hawkins who also directed capturing the killer nurse on netflix and we covered that as well very mm-hmm. good documentary mm-hmm. guys it is yeah. i love a documentary that starts me off with a quote so i can get the tone of the whole to do so mm-hmm. today's quote is the world will ask you who you are and if you don't know the world will tell you and that's from carl Jung. mm-hmm Profound. It is. I, however, have beef with this because I think the world doesn't care who you think you are. They just want you to be who they want you to be. I agree. Fit into mm-hmm. their little boxes, their little categories. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's why Aaron and I are so punk rock and rebellious and flipping off the man constantly. So, damn the man. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So, we're going to talk about personality tests today. That's what this documentary is about. And most people, I feel like, have probably taken a personality test throughout their history, whether it be for funsies, for school, or for work. I know Aaron and I have worked at a place that gave us several different kinds of personality and behavior tests over the years. It's fun to take. And my perception of them is they are very interesting in a low-stakes environment. Mm-hmm. We're just doing it for fun, right? But if people are basing their, like, choices they're making in life about their partner or work or something else based off of this, then that is probably problematic. Sure. For the individual, right, that this is, it's interesting to learn about yourself. And just like a horoscope, part of it's going to be right. And you're going to glom right onto that. But is this really representative of a whole life or you know, kind of a complex situation. And that's the part that I think I have the biggest beef with. Right. So one of the people we talked to throughout this, his name is Frank James. He's a personality type YouTuber and he comes in and does like little skits based on different personality types. And what I do like that he said was that people, when they're looking into the personality types, it helps them feel like they kind of belong, that they're not alone because other people might have these same feelings and reactions and behave a specific way. And so it's not just them. And you feel it's probably kind of like a community to a certain extent, right? Sure. He is an INFJ, which is the introvert, intuitive feeling and judging. And it's super rare, which I think is funny because it wouldn't be Mm -hmm. as interesting if he was like the vanilla of the 16 (laughs) 16 different types right so tell me more about these different types I don't have them written out I think you did I know I'm the worst Aaron what can I say I I think in my personality assessment it says I don't come prepared for my podcast and I am just (laughs) portraying myself accurate to what I yeah there you go so for Myers-Briggs who was one of the original ones and one of the most popular ones You have four different categories, which gives you eight different kind of letters, which can be combined into 16 different personality types. So the first group is introverted I or extroverted E, which a lot of people kind of relate to, whether they're, they kind of consider it as outgoing or not outgoing, which will determine, discover throughout this, not really an accurate description. The second one is intuitive, represented by N, or sensing, represented by S. The third group is thinking, T, feeling, F. 
And the last group is judging J and perceiving P. So I took a quick dirty, I was on an app, so like 36 questions. And it wasn't like, you're asked a bunch of questions. And online, if you pay for the test, it's like, do you strongly agree, agree, disagree, strongly disagree, or somewhere in the middle, right? So you have a whole lot of categories. This one was like, yes or no, essentially. And so it wants to put you in extreme categories, which is tough because I think most people, the answer is, well, it depends. Well, it depends. Well, it depends. It's situational, obviously, but you have to make a decision. Based on the app, I, Erin McCourt, am an ESFP, extroverted, sensing, feeling, and perceiving. And when we get down later to talking about the jobs, I'll tell you what jobs they think I should have and we can all <laughs> laugh together. <laughs> right on, right on. Mm-hmm. On the same app, I also took the test. This is Aaron McCart. And I am ENFJ, extroverted, intuitive, feeling, judging. So you are judgy. So, so judgy. Um, <laughs> with recent confirmation. So cool on me. Yeah. Living up to that uh, type. I sure am. So the idea is the typology helps you recognize the gaps and your unawarenesses. So while it can be a tool that helps, um, helps you understand a little bit more about yourself, which is kind of the fun part. I think people like to learn about themselves. The problem comes in when, yeah, you're making life decisions or decisions are being made for you. Mm -hmm. um, because as you said, there's different, lots of different ways to take these tests. And if it's a quick and dirty way, I mean, even worse, right? Like a, complete yes or no. I don't know. Yeah. When your choices are, I mean, it, it, they're such extremes. Like, do you want to kill puppies or do you want to kill kittens? You know, and you have to choose and I choose neither type of thing. And that's not a real example, obviously guys, but I'm, it's just, it's that kind of mentality of they're usually nothing that you would choose one over the other. So also no room for nuance. Right. And often, right. often when you hear these questions. Yeah. Right. So one of my favorite people in this documentary, her name is Merv Emery. She's an associate professor of English literature at Oxford University and the author of The Personality Brokers. I'm just going to say, I'm here for credentials. I'm here for it. That's not fitting on a fucking business card. It was really long. It was like a paragraph. But good for you, ma'am. Yeah, there are a couple of um, people in this that I was like, am I, st am I still writing? I'm just still writing. There's so much. <laughs> so much. Yeah. She talks about how her first job out of college, all the new employees had to take this personality test. And then they swept everyone up and they took them out to this really fancy place. And they just had a career coach come in and talk about what their personality types were, what that meant for them within the company. And apparently she was an ENTJ, which was a CEO type. And she could be head of the company one day. What an interesting enticement. What an interesting carrot to dangle out in front of a very young, fresh-faced college graduate, full of ideals, energy, right? not right? grizzled and bitter like some 45-year-olds I know. Um, mm. So as a management consultant, mm -hmm. she admittedly says she sucks. She's like, I was horrible, um, contrary to what my personality tests indicated, so she quit and she became an author, a writer, which is not executive brained. Correct. She wanted to write something about the personality stuff. So she started looking into the Myers-Briggs test and was surprised, but it wasn't invented by two men named Myers and Briggs, which I think most of us assume mm -hmm. because it's a man's world. <laughs> um, but it was written by, or not really written by, it was, um, developed that's the right word that <laughs> is by a mother-daughter team you have Catherine, who's the mother and isabel who's the daughter and this was like in the early 1900s mm -hmm. no formal psychology training mm -mm. and it really began as a domestic experience experience no fuck's sake <laughs> <laughs> right it was uh, all observational yeah, domestic experience. Fuck, experience. <laughs> Hold on, let me let me come in. 
domestic experiment. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot today. I know. Sadly, it was also kind of, I wonder how much it was influenced by the fact that Catherine lost a couple of her children, which I don't think was necessarily unique. You know, child mortality has been problematic uh, for a long time. Still is, interestingly enough, here in the developed world. So she based her experiments off of her surviving child, which was Isabel. And she also was a follower, a devotee of Carl Jung. So I think that also started to influence her findings, right? Like how she interpreted some of the things she was capturing. Right. So what really started pushing this forward is Isabel went off to college. That's when her mother got into Carl Jung and that. And then, and Isabel really didn't want much to do with all of this because, you know, she'd been raised in this weird environment. And so she didn't want much to do with it. However, my understanding is kind of after World War II started, she wanted to be able to help somehow. And I think a lot of people probably felt helpless in a situation like that. So she wanted to take the knowledge that her mother kind of came up with and worked on herself and expand upon it, build upon it. Right. Mm-hmm. The She started with her children, her friends, her husband, and just giving them questions. See how they would react in different situations. Are you going to react? Um, are you, are you going to run towards danger? Or are you going to run away from danger? You know, just, yeah, for example. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, trying to just tease out how people behave, how they respond. One of the things I find interesting is, is they said that the idea is you're born with this personality type and you'll die with this personality type. And I really take issue with that because I think people evolve and change even their personalities, their behaviors, how they respond to things are going to change based on their experiences. Right. Well, I think we were talking about this the other day when we were going through the test and you were asking me if I like to plan. And I'm like, look, I have to plan. I don't feel like if left to my complete own devices, like I wasn't influenced by anything else. I'm not really sure how I would answer. I plan Mm -hmm. because I only have limited time and I have a lot of responsibilities. And if stuff gets goofed up at the beginning, it's just a nightmare to get everything Mm -hmm. done. So I don't feel like, you know, this is also all based on outward appearances. Like it doesn't really factor in all the bits inside. So, right. Yeah. It's still, even though they're saying it's personality, it is a lot behavioral based because the questions are behaviors. So it's weird. Right. Right. So they weren't able to get this test developed and out to the general public or whatever prior to the end of world war two. So they weren't able to help in the war effort. I'm not sure how they thought it was going to help in the war effort, but it is what it is. But you have a growing labor force. You have a lot of people coming back and needing jobs. It's a whole different industrial era. So what they wanted to do then is use this to help companies find the right employees and employees find the right job. On the surface, sounds amazing, right? Mm -hmm. We want good fit so people will stay companies will have employees that are better suited for these positions. Everyone's happy. Mm-hmm. And that's all she wrote, right? End of the story. Everyone's happy and we can move on. Absolutely. It wasn't bastardized at all. Mm-mm. So although they talk about like how to place people, they also evaluate people that are already placed. So this is popular among companies that have executives and they did show some graphics and it's like, Phillips 66 and like other stuff that I didn't write down because I didn't care that much. Yeah, large companies. Yeah. Nurses, which I'm like, they're already nurses. So, well, I think that the idea is to take, so if you're interviewing your top employees, your best employees, and figure out what personality types they are, then you can use that to determine what personality types you want in those roles because you've determined these people are already good at this level. And these people maybe you don't like in this role you can weed them out as well. Right. Right. So how is it working out now? How is it being applied since, I mean, the current day? 
What I find interesting is the person who runs Myers-Briggs now. Richard. Yeah. Richard. Should we call him Dick? (laughs) He says that they do not want their tests used to as a hiring practice, right? You should not use this test to determine who is or isn't a good fit for a job. And when they found out companies they're selling to are using it for that purpose, they discontinue sales to that company. It sounds noble, but that would also require the company to disclose that they are doing that, right? And they're not the only company. Who else is in the game? Well, they have a couple that they mentioned, but they, then we can kind of go through those, but they talk about mm-hmm. there's, there's copyright issues with those four letters. So they don't have that lockdown. Anybody can right. use it. They also have a crap ton of competitors and the knockoffs are pervasive. So they talk about Unicrew as one and Hire view. That might not be right. Well, they use the Unicrew model, I think. But the other, so what they're basing their testing on is what's called the big five, which is mm-hmm. a similar personality test, but not quite the same. So the big five is the other major personality test, Myers-Briggs and the big five. And the big five takes five attributes um, and kind of gives you a ranking, a percentage of each of these five to determine what you're good and not good at, I guess. I've never taken this one, but now I kind of want (laughs) to. And they say that these attributes describe most of the variance in human personality. So those five are conscientiousness, which by the way, I cannot spell to save my life ever. Mm -hmm. It's too many letters. So long. (laughs) Agreeable, neuroticism, openness to experience, and extroversion. And so you will get like a percentage of each, like, are you very conscientious? Are you very agreeable? Are you very neurotic? I would love to see what the questions are to determine whether you're neurotic or not. But I would guess you'd want a low score on that. One would think, right. but I would think CEOs probably have a high score on that. Just well, a thought. I guess we'll have to leave that for interpretation because they didn't necessarily break that down. They do mm-hmm. talk a lot about extroversion being an extrovert and how that's really valued in our society Mm -hmm. because really the idea here is you're cloning your best employees. They really want, they have, they have a model that they're trying to match you up with. And so they're using this as a predictive, you know, a way to predict who will be the best workers. Problem is who writes these, who writes these tests? Old white men. Yes. This is the same argument that I heard a long time ago when they were talking about like um, standardized tests. They're biased against people who don't have the same viewpoint as an old, white, able-bodied douchebag man. It's the same with BMI, right? (laughs) BMI was taken as a this this age white man in perfect shape is the ideal and the rest of us are like, but you know, I carry children in my body that might make my ideal slightly different. Yeah. But that doesn't matter because um, we don't consider anybody else's viewpoint. So that's really kind of leading up to some of the problems. So there are several people that discuss specific and kind of general problems Maybe we talk about Kathy O'Neill first. Okay. Mm -hmm. Number one, she's got amazing blue hair and she did a TED talk and she might be my hero. I don't know. She's a data scientist, which I'm like, whoop, whoop. I love me a scientist who likes the data. However, she is, she's got some awareness that data doesn't tell the whole story. Right. And as scientists, we have to be aware that are we factoring in all of the different variables And Kathy is concerned that the data is being used to predict worthiness. Mm -hmm. So. Right. Like you said, if the model employee is a specific type of person, anyone who doesn't fit that is now not worthy of a job or employment. Mm -hmm. That's tough. 
Lydia XZ Brown is a disability justice advocate. Fucking love this person. I know. They've been working for disability justice for over a decade, although they also look like they're probably in high school. So I'm not sure how that works. (laughs) (laughs) But they noticed that as they're applying for jobs, I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this, but a lot more companies are asking you to take these personality tests as part of an application process. Mm -hmm. And that's where the problem lies. If you're taking it once you're already in the job, they try to look at it as a tool to help you understand how you're going to interact with others, what roles you might be best suited for, for career Mm -hmm. development and things like that. Maximizing your strengths, Mm -hmm. you know, understanding where you need to focus um, for other things. That comes from strengths finders, which we've also done. Right. Right. (laughs) And disc and, and right. So many, so many, but when you notice you're not getting the jobs that you're perfectly qualified for, you have to wonder why I can honestly say I can only think of one time I've had to do a personal personality test as part of the interview process. Have you ever had to? No, not that I can think of. I I can't remember having to do that. I only did one time I had already, I was on site. I had done like the five interviews with different people, (laughs) gone to lunch, all that. Sure. And then HR was like, okay, you just need to sit in here and take this test real quick. And I'm like, Oh, a test. Okay, she's like, there are no wrong answers. That's not true. We all know that's not true. <laughs> and, it, and it was this personality type of test and how you would behave and how you would react. I did get offered the job. So apparently my answers were okay. Mm-hmm. But still, that is it is problematic. Right? Yeah. We get a great example, a bad example. I'm not really sure. We get an example. Mm-hmm. There's a young man named Kyle Bem. Mm-hmm. Okay. He lives in Atlanta, Georgia. He applies for a part-time job as basically what I understand is like a farm tech. He's going to be a pharmacy Mm -hmm. technician working at Kroger. He has a buddy that works at Kroger. So that's sort of how this begins. Kyle should be a shoe in here because he has customer service experience in the past. Mm -hmm. But he actually doesn't get the offer. And in talking to his buddy... Um, to ask like what what gives the buddy had had some interaction with whoever was grading the test the supervisor the manager the hiring um, kind of with hiring control and that person had said that Kyle had some red like he had a red score on part of the test so he was not chosen was not selected for this role and that was really confusing because again mm-hmm. he had the right experience to land this job. It's just an hourly job. I mean, not, let me say it a different way. It was an hourly job, nothing wrong with hourly job, but this again was confusing because he should have gotten it. Right. It's well Mm -hmm. within his skill set. Yeah. So the, the area that he scored red on apparently meant that he was more likely to ignore customers if they were either upset or if they were making him upset or frustrated. And what he said to that was that's, He answered test questions honestly. That's a personal thing. People are able to separate and go to work and and put on a front. There are people throughout this world every single day that put on a happy face that are not fucking happy. So you can separate that. You can behave in a certain way that you know is acceptable at work and get the job done. People Mm -hmm. do it every single day. And so the fact that they use the saying, well, we don't think he'll behave or react in the way we want him to react is horrible. It really is. So then as we learn more about Kyle's story, he's been diagnosed with bipolar while he was in school. Mm -hmm. This really affects him. I think especially because he was honest. And so he discusses the problems with his dad who happens to be an attorney. Mm -hmm. And so there's, some, they kind of come to the conclusion that because Kyle was honest and he has um, kind of a potentially a mental health issue that he's been discriminated against is basically, mm-hmm. you know, what they come to. So then throughout the documentary, they talk a little bit about the journey that they take and trying to remedy some of this um, and kind of bring awareness to it. Right. 
Right, because this isn't the only job. So as he continues to apply for jobs, yeah. he sees it over and over again that these personality tests come up. They start taking screenshots of the questions so they can see the questions. And then they notice that it's not the company itself that they're applying to that's doing the testing. It's sending them to third-party websites. Mm-hmm. And so they start looking into those websites as well and those companies and down the rabbit hole we go, right? That's how we start to determine that these companies are marketing this specifically to corporations. And what's interesting to me is they're not necessarily, the companies they called out a lot were not like Apple and Google and these, it's like hiring for servers, wait staff, you know, like working at McDonald's, working at, and again, these are absolutely perfectly acceptable jobs but the fact that you're going to this length to find people to work at those these are entry-level jobs a lot of times anyone should be able to come in and get a job do this and try it right and grow you have to start somewhere and the fact that those were the ones that were like their biggest contributors to this problem I don't know it was very bizarre to me right so this is on the line of legality Mm mm-hmm or illegality. Yeah, because obviously, according to the Americans with Disabilities Act, you cannot weed out people that potentially have mental health or, well, really any medical conditions. You can't discriminate against people for um, medical conditions. So that's what they're saying. Like, the algorithm may be able to predict mental health issues, like who may be experiencing depression, because they're specifically asking questions like, I feel happy about my future. And if you are a privileged white kid or man or lady or whatever, you might answer that question a little differently than somebody who's maybe been out of work or underemployed for a long time. And, you know, that would be a flag and you get booted right out of the system. Mm hmm. Oh, God forbid you have depression. I don't know anyone who has, you know, clinical depression that feels positive about the future. I mean, that's part of it. And if they do, good for them. Yeah. They must be doing well in therapy. But God forbid they pick you on a bad day. What if something had just happened? You know, I mean, it's it's one of those things that it just really depends on your circumstances and the day. And yeah. Right. So... Let's talk a little bit about the HOPE program in Brooklyn. There are a couple of really cool cats here, Jamal and David. I did not capture their last names, but they are helping students, training students. And these are adult students. I think there's a range of ages, right? This is not a traditional school. This is a school you go to to get employed. And so they're trying to help people navigate. Um, For some folks, it's now that you apply for everything online kind of helping them understand that. And then there's, if you are asked to do these personality assessments, which are not called personality assessments, it's just like, here, take this quiz. They, they're not really being very forthright on what they're doing. Mm -mm. So if you had an experience like that before, maybe you would go in and completely answer these questions, honestly, but they're trying to tell you, understand what they're asking you for, and then tailor your answer to kind of, you know, answer in a way that moves you to the next round. Right. Trying to cheat the system, which I think I'm here for, right? Considering the system is skewed to begin with. A hundred percent. Yeah. I love what these cats are doing, right? Because some of these people are just, have been unemployed mm-hmm. for a while. Some of them are straight out of incarceration and they haven't seen these systems. Um, so they're really yeah. helping them beef up their resume, their interview skills, and in this case, helping them with these personality tests. And, and I love that they go through, so they give them all personality tests and then they go through and they're like, okay, this is how we answered this question. Why do you think this is problematic? Why do you think this is positive? So one of the questions that they go over was, can you remember in the recent past, if you have told a lie? And of course, everyone was like, absolutely not. I have not told a lie. It's bullshit. I lie every day to myself, if nothing else. You look amazing. You're going to do great today. <laughs> Whatever it takes to get through the day. Right. Right. Lied to my kids about Christmas and Santa. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's stupid little shit like that, but we do it all the time. So this is kind of a trick question. 
do you answer right. the way you think they want you to answer, which is no, I do not lie at all. Or do you answer honestly, like everybody lies a little bit all the time. Right. And I don't know that there's really a mm-hmm. right in opportunity here. So I think that this is a difficult one. So they tell people like consider answering like this or kind of, again, those motivations behind a lot of that. And they point out that there are obstacles facing different populations than who these algorithms and tests and things were written for. So I guess they basically want you to think like an old white man, which sounds terrifying. Yeah. Or uh, empowering. I'm not sure which. I'm not sure which. Or just, you just come in with just all the... uh, Yeah. All the audacity. That's the one. (laughs) You just... All you have to do is answer C for everything, and that's it. Let's talk about one of those mediocre middle-aged white men, um, David Scarborough, who's the co-creator of Unicro Personality Test. This cat was interviewed, and I appreciate the audacity, if you will. He seems so detached and unaware anytime he's on camera, like, he was really a strange human being in my estimation. I agree with you. Like it didn't even cross his mind that maybe he was being interviewed in a way that wasn't favorable to him and what he was up to. He says it's really in everybody's favor to steer bad fit people. Like in a perfect world, people come into a job where they are productive. They are happy. It's good for the company. It's good for the person. So he said, it's okay to steer the wrong people away from these roles. Like they should go to a place where they do their best work. I think he completely, he completely forgets that people can be adaptable and good at more than one thing. Right. Like, who are you to make that decision? Just because you're not happy doing your job. I would say 90 plus percent of people, at least in this country are not happy doing their job. I love the job. I do. It doesn't mean I'm happy I have to get my fat ass up every day and go to work. I don't want to do that. I'm ready to be a kept woman. But here we are. So (laughs) when you say things like, I'm doing you a favor by kicking you out of this job pool because you wouldn't have been happy doing it. Fuck off. Are you going to pay my landlord? Are you going to buy my food? Right. So predicting aptitude for jobs is a really weird and slippery slope. Like, it's okay to say once you're in a role, like, I don't know if I want to do this for the long term. Maybe there's something else in this department that, you know, caught my eye. I think development wise, that's okay. But also, like, can you be happy in your life and be satisfied with your job? Like, it doesn't have to be like sunshine and rainbows, like flying out of my ass every day. I just want to do my job. I don't want to have to be like about it all the time forever. Sometimes I do feel like that. Yeah. Sometimes I have really a lot of email. I work to live. I do not live to work. And let me let me tell you guys. So I said earlier, I'm ESFP, right? My careers, according to these people who tell me where I should be happy, are musician, fashion, photographer, interior design, EMT, paramedic, or nurse. I mean, I don't have a creative bone in my fucking body. And also, I don't like blood. The fuck are they talking about? None of these. None of these would apply to me in any way, shape, or form. So I'm calling bullshit on their I know where you fit best and where you're going to perform best. I think mine, I didn't write them down, but it was like a counselor, a teacher. I'm like, okay. I agree with that. I didn't really absorb the rest because I also didn't think we were just yeah. kind of out there. What do we say? We're ENFJ. Uh, yes. Have to... Yep. Your career is social or religious worker, <clears throat> teacher, counselor, advisor, <laughs> HR administrator, event coordinator, or a politician. Oh, that's right. I would totally vote for you. <laughs> It's a lot of bullshit. I don't care how much data you have to back it up. And I'm a data person as well. I'm an analytical person. So it's, I don't just disregard the Mm -hmm. data, but I think people are just much more nuanced in a few points here and there. It's Well, there's also a lot of research coming out now about how emotional intelligence is really a big predictor. I mean, that's still a terrible word, but of success in the workplace, like 
And one of the big drivers of emotional intelligence is to be adaptable, which completely blows this theory out of the water. If you're organized and, you know, you can do one job, it's likely you can apply the same skills to any other job. So I don't know, having been in the workforce and worked with a lot of people, I don't know if I know anybody that would not have been able to pivot at all whatsoever. I have met people who are not able to pivot. And they're very good at the one thing they do. Absolutely. But I don't know that that's their, it's, it's more because that particular person didn't like change and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Some could have happened Mm -hmm. early in their life that that was traumatizing enough that change is very traumatizing for them. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. But there, yeah. I mean, there are just all types in general. Sure. So. Well, let's talk a little bit about what David started off with, right? So (laughs) he worked on some honesty testing and he was saying that at one point, it looks like it's sometime in the seventies, sixties, that if you applied to work at a gas station, you had to do a polygraph, which I'm like, that is some grand marketing. Like anywhere you had to work, essentially, <laughs> grocery store, gas station, fast food, you name it, you had to do a polygraph. And I'm like, again, I'm calling bullshit, dude. There's no way companies were paying that much money for this bullshit. I don't know. There was a video of somebody sitting down and doing a polygraph. Now, I, the context true. of this, we have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> so anyway, that's sort of where he starts. And then he gets the call to go to Portland. And I think that's sort of where this business starts to take off. And this unemotional man Mm -hmm. writes tests that you better get right. If you ever want to be hired anywhere. Right. They, I mean, they kind of have the monopoly on this. And I mean, one thing he said, I mean, everything he said kind of pissed me off. But one thing he was like, most personality tests are written by middle-aged white men. Okay. At least you're aware. Mm-hmm. And they cannot possibly assimilate all the complexity, cultural, and individual variation that our systems are going to capture. I mean, I could help by telling you to hire a more diverse programming group. It's just a very small step in the right direction. Well, it was funny because I thought, oh, maybe he isn't as bad as I thought he was. Maybe he's going to turn the corner, but he did not. He just he, kept uh, talking, yeah. He, <laughs> he just landed right where he began. And he's like you know, these algorithms can be configured correctly. So we get it right more than we get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, hey, maybe the complainers applied for the wrong job. Absolutely. If they applied for yeah. the right job, this wouldn't be a problem, Erin. They should know <laughs> their place right. in this world, you which is totally. not up here. <laughs> Down here. Right? And I was like, this mic is on. Like, you're now... <laughs> Uh, recording right so other problems with even the original myers-briggs so if you look back at the original stuff that was done and our friend merv did and i love Mm -hmm. that there's a a lady named merv it makes me happy by the way because that's a 97 year old man's name yeah but she starts researching more and more and she goes into the archives. The fact that they have a whole archive for this is interesting to me. I want to know where that's kept. It's so culty, right? It sounds like that the, they have white gloves out and they're like taking it out from 500 year old, you know, catacombs or something. It just, like this was not, like a hundred years ago. It's not that old. <laughs> anyway. She would request items from the archive and the files were removed. She would be in the archives and people were kind of stalking her and she felt a little bit like, that's weird. Yeah. She found out that Isabel was actually an author of a mystery novel that was mm-hmm. fairly successful, successful even. Yeah. And she whipped right through it. She wrote it out very yeah. quickly. Yeah. Okay. And there was a second novel that she wrote that you couldn't really find. Mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. Why might so, that be, Erin? Our girl Merv doesn't give up. Doesn't give up quickly. Maybe that's where her executive, um, her CEO mm-hmm. drive and personality comes in. Mm-hmm. The title of that gym was called Give Me Death. And it's the same detectives, the same characters as in the first one. So it's a sequel, right? Mm-hmm. And they're investigating 
a team or they're investigating a family of old Southern aristocrats that are killing themselves in a specific family. Would you like to take it from there? Yeah. I mean, good listener, if you would like to wonder why these aristocrats were killing themselves, because, you know, it's an old Southern family. They probably have a lot of money. It would be because they thought they might have one drop of African-American blood in the family line. And that was enough for them to off themselves so they didn't perpetuate that cycle. So, conclusion? She's racist. She's racist. And they know she's racist because they've now removed that book from a normal person's ability to find it. So... And there are more problems. (laughs) When she first started doing her type test on people, like in factories and that, she would not test anyone with an IQ less than 100 because she didn't believe they had the cognitive capabilities to differentiate their personalities. She argued that the people who have the clearest personality preferences are research scientists. So we're in. Thank you. Yeah. And CEOs. Mm -hmm. However... We are women. Mm. And she didn't care too much for that. Right. The first test had two different scoring keys. I was going to say rubrics, whatever. One Mm -hmm. for men and one for women. Because women are biologically predisposed to feeling. So you couldn't actually evaluate men's and women's answers on the same scale. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, girl, stop trying to put us back. Clearly, she clearly never met one of my previous bosses who had no feeling whatsoever. (laughs) Lord. So I think the dogma here is people want to show her as progressive. She's an idealist, right? However, now that this light has been shed, it's really questionable. And my favorite thing of the whole documentary is one of her granddaughters. She has two granddaughters that speaks, Catherine and Michelle. And they're both like... Yeah, we grew up at her knee and she was always doing her research and she was always um, at her desk and she was very dedicated and Kathleen speaks a little bit more and she was like, I was concerned because as a child I was extroverted and everybody else in my family, all the women were introverted and blah, blah, blah. So a little bit of family perspective there, but she does not care for what Merv has said. And she's like, I don't know where she's getting these conclusions. My great grandma was a big proponent of everyone and it it's just like factually no well she she actually said isabel did care deeply about preventing another hitler she cared about tolerance and i'm like okay there's a big difference between condoning genocide and having people believing people are lesser than doesn't mean you want to kill Mm -hmm. them you just want them in their place Yeah. So those things aren't equal, ma'am. Well, we all know how the uh, extremism argument works. Like, so. I mean, if if a man wants to marry a man, why don't they just marry a goat? Done, Aaron. Exactly. (laughs) Next step. (laughs) Oh, shit. Good stuff. So let's talk a little bit more about how these algorithms are now working. They're encoded, like we said, with inherent bias, right? Because you're you're looking at your top performers. I'm not saying that the top performers are in their place because they're the best, but a lot of times white men are going to get hired above anyone else. Um, the system is put in place that way, and so they're going to be the ones towards the top, whether they're good or not, because we've worked with people who keep failing up and in an entire five-page email will not say a single word that's worth anything so doesn't mean they're the best at that job it means they're the one in that position at the time and so if that's what Mm -hmm. you're judging judging against that's what you're going to continue to bring in and hire and as we said these tests have been shown to be somewhat sexist what if you're more feeling are they going to assume you're a woman racist because different backgrounds are going to respond to different situations differently I said the word different five times there. I apologize. I need a thesaurus. And they're obviously ableist because, again, if you have any kind of mental disorder, these questions are built in. 
to really kind of understand how you're going to behave in a certain way they believe. And so if you have a certain disability, you might behave this way. Therefore, they can kick you out immediately. One of the new ways that they're using this technology is because people are starting to learn the system and answer how they believe you're supposed to answer, they've decided to build a platform that is a video interview. And so it will look at your face and your responses. So instead of just typing or clicking a yes or no or strongly disagree, they're looking at your face as you answer to determine how truthful you are, how you feel. And that pushed me right over the edge, Erin. Yes. So it's not active now. I don't know. It seems like it's in development. And the guy that's talking to us about this, again, I'm like, I I do not understand how he agreed to this. Dr. Nathan Mondragon. And this is Higher View, which I think I mentioned earlier. And it is a video interview platform that you mentioned. He is a chief industrial psychologist. And basically this is micro expressions. This is body language analysis. And we know inherently that there are emotional, there's like kind of an emotional expression. Those are different between different people. There's certainly different cultural implications here. And he says, this is not proven, but it is in accordance with acceptable practices and principles and guidelines of what there's no like governing body listed or like in accordance with the constitution or whatever. He just is like, these are fun, buzzy words. So the fact that he's, they're kind of putting it out there and they're trying to shore it up. But again, I think that legality question comes in. How is this going to work? Yeah. It's towing the line of legality, right? They're going to have to really spin it that they have taken enough data points because who are they using to make these data points, right? Are they, are they using people from all over the world and all over? If you have Asperger's, you tend, you tend to show less emotion. Does that mean you don't have that emotion? No, you just have, you're, you're showing it differently. Uh, men and women are going to show emotion differently. Like you said, different cultures. It's just, are you taking a large group or are you just taking one group of people? It's It's just, everything about it is problematic to me everything about it. And quite honestly, I think if I were to do an interview now, I don't mind taking a personality test before I go in because apparently I test well. It doesn't mean I'm better than someone else. I just answer. Mm -hmm. I can guess a question pretty well without knowing the answer. It probably doesn't bode well for the job that I do. I'm just saying. But (laughs) also, if it was like, oh, this is going to be on camera and you're going to take this test and we're going to film you with your expressions. No. No, that's not going to happen. Well, it's so artificial, right? Like immediately I'm going to be like, like it's going to be so <laughs> weird. Like yeah. my blood pressure gets weird mm-hmm. when I get my blood pressure taken. Oh yeah. I know my face is going to be weird. They're going to be like, that is, that is a creepy joker level Those, of smiling. Yeah. Like, all the no, teeth are Stop shit. it. <laughs> well, but then I wonder how much of it is, are you aware of it? is this going on without your knowledge? Are they, because if you have the camera on for an interview, are they taking these measurements and doing this without your knowledge? Like they showed it as if you would know and you would be in the software and it would show your face being filmed, but it's possible that that's not the case. And you're just interviewing and going through this process and they're doing it without you knowing. So that is also problematic. Right. So, There's a lovely lady. Her name is Ifoma. She's an associate professor of labor and employment um, law at Cornell. So that's another giant set of credentials that I will never accomplish. And she was, she's also an author. So this is The Quantified Worker is the name of her book. And she talks a lot about bias in technology. It's a new form potentially of discrimination. And our current laws don't really factor that in. They were written at a time when this was not 
applicable. And so now when you're talking about these big automated systems, that can really have some big impacts and it can affect a lot of people where like just one shit manager at one job might, you know, it's just the smaller stakes, right? Right. Right. And our friend Lydia, but Lydia is very blunt and I love that. And she talks about the fact that these new automated systems for hiring, it's almost like a new form of eugenics, which I didn't think about until she said it. And I thought, oh, it really is because it's determining who's worthy to be employed and who's not. Whereas eugenics was who's worthy to procreate and who's not. So uh, it's so gross. Right. Um, She does say that they're both pseudoscience. There's no consensus. That's not the right word, but Mm -hmm. yeah, there's discussion on could this make a permanent underclass of unemployable people? Because if you've been rejected so many times, number one, I think it just wears on your general spirit. Mm -hmm. And then is that not also potentially tracked? I would assume so. If it's the same, that's what I was thinking too. If the same third party is contracted out to multiple companies, they're collecting that data. So they already know your answer. So what if you start answering differently to try to to try to get, get around, it. around it. And they'll be like, yeah. no, we saw your answers before. Can you even win? I don't know. I just have a lot of problems with this because it, I think there's also implications for like, if you're so desperate to take any job, you'll take any wage. I mean, like, mm-hmm. where does it stop? Yeah, it, it yeah. is definitely creating, like she said, that lower class that is barely employable it's just, it's, and again, it's not that they're actually unemployable. They're willing to work. I mean, this whole thing is packed with people who are trying to get a job. So sorry, boomers who are saying like, nobody wants to work anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't see that at all. People just aren't willing to work in a shitty job for nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and my counter argument to that is no one has ever wanted to work. We don't want to work. I want to go live on a beach somewhere and, and <laughs> sip out a coconut. So, but here we are. It's And also, let's keep in mind, these people that are considered unemployable then because of their personality types might be the smartest fucking person you know. And I'll, I'll do that pro-life argument. What if they have the cure for cancer? What if they could cure cancer with that brain? Mm-hmm. But here you are kicking them out because they're not extroverted enough. Well, I mean, Kathy makes a great argument and she says, we could be selecting a more diverse workforce. We could be, but we don't. We just want to perpetuate all the shit in the past because change makes people uncomfortable. Having more ideas only makes things stronger in almost every case. So those differing viewpoints and differing, I don't know, all kinds of stuff, we're missing out. Because we just can't get out of our own way. Yep. So Kyle's dad does go to Congress or the House of Representatives to try to um, help others. They're trying to change the laws because Kyle did not survive this. He took his own life. And I had to tell you guys, I wasn't prepared for that. (laughs) And it, it broke me a little bit watching this. So, but his dad is still fighting and fighting to get laws changed to remove the ability of companies to use these tests to discriminate against people. From what I saw, there's no national law yet saying that companies cannot use these to as, as part of the interview process. There are a couple states that have put laws in place It's a good step forward, but the laws aren't necessarily written well. So they're supposed to be auditing these companies for discriminatory practices, but they wrote in, they need to audit these third-party companies for um, discrimination against race, ethnicity, and sex. So you're still missing a few categories there that you need to think about. Yeah. They do show some of the congressional hearing and they ask, what, what could we do? What is something that we could do to make a difference? And one of the 
people that's responding. I don't, I didn't get her name, but she says a worker's bill of rights. We would like people to understand what this part of the process is. So they kind of at least can be educated about what they're being asked to do instead of like weird behind the scenes stuff, which is what <laughs> corporations seem to love right now. Yeah. yeah. But what is that going to change? If you know it's going on, but you need a job, are you not going to take the test? I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I actually asked Blake this morning before we taped if he had been subject to this. And he said, no, he said most of the things that he'd been asked to do on online applications, because again, this is still hourly. He's still doing hourly work. It was more stuff along, you know, what's your experience? You know, how did you handle this? Yada, 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 which is pretty standard fare for interviewing and not like, do you think the future will be bright? You know, so I don't know if that's a location thing. Like, I don't know if that's just not a thing we do here or, you know, if now some of this talks about, you know, the 20, I had a date of 2014. So mm -hmm. I don't know if like, I don't know where it stands currently. Right. Mm -hmm. I, like I said, what I looked up was from 2023. So Indiana was not on the list of states that had laws in place. Mm -hmm. When I took the test, I was interviewing in 2007. So it was a long time ago. Sure. I mean, we had a hot minute at our previous role where people were like, what's your Myers-Briggs? And like everybody was sort of doing it for funsies. Mm -hmm. And other experiences that we've had, it's been more, I'm going to say about enrichment. It's not always a limiting factor as far as I could see. Right. But we were already but I don't hired. know if that's, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It, it scares me for the youths. I mean, I guess I'm in an age protected <laughs> class by this time for discrimination, but still, I mean, it is really scary because I don't know. It's hard. It's, it's, this is your livelihood. Like you're not going to be able to take care of yourself and be, um, have any kind of a life if you can't be employed. I mean, that's the system in which we've set up. So you're like screwed on both ends. I know. And having worked in the industry for quite a while and, and managed people, I've had people doing the same exact job who are so very different in personality and behave so differently in things that they do. Were they all capable of doing the job and doing it well? Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe one person, you know, doesn't go out and interact with people outside of work as much as other people. There's nothing wrong with that. They're there. They're doing their job. They're fine. I just don't understand. I don't understand the idea that this can be used to determine who's a best fit. I saw a thing again on TikTok because that's where I get all of my information. <laughs> and it was an old man talking about take your employer. Maybe it's, I think it's after they've already been hired. It doesn't really matter, but you take and you have somebody sit down and write 10 goals on a piece of paper. And then he's like, if I wave my magic wand around and you could have any of these right now, which would it be? And it's like, you know, you were in a house or a car or like a new title or whatever. Um, and he was like, that's the one you transfer to a new piece of paper and you make a plan for the next 12 months. And I'm like, on the surface, it sounds great because as Americans, we just cannot be happy with your fucking job. You always have to be pushing to the next level and grinding and like getting up early and like staying up late. And it's so exhausting. And I think this, all this shit feeds right into that. It's okay to just do your job and do it well and be happy with that. You don't have to be like trying to get to the next thing. Yeah, no, I'm not. And I told my boss, as soon as I started this job, I am not a, I'm not a corporate <laughs> climber. I'm here to do this job and do it well. It's not to say I won't take mm -hmm. on new tasks and new jobs and new roles. It's just, sure. I don't want to be a CEO. That sounds like a miserable fucking job. Ugh. Yeah. All emails and meetings and nothing's actually being done. And mm -hmm. it just was funny because it, it just happened to come up mm -hmm. at the same time we were talking about all this. So there are a couple highlights at the very end, at least one. So there's a gentleman named LaShawn. He was part of the Hope Project. He's on camera a lot talking about how things have changed in his lifetime. Like you used to have the Sunday ads and you used to like, and he's like, this internet stuff is kooky and whatever. But he ends up getting a position as a supervisor of a building. 
so yeah, he's able to find some um, employment and he's thrilled. And in fact, he calls his teacher or whatever. And he's like, Hey, how are you? And the guy starts to answer. And he's like, I got a job. I got a job. It's so cute. <laughs> it's like Christmas morning. Yeah. He was one of the ones that had been incarcerated. So the transition of being in prison and then coming out, you know, the technology was very, very different. And so trying to adapt to that was hard for him. I can't even imagine. Yeah, they have a couple blurbs at the end that say the hiring test Kroger used was based on the Big Five model of personality, not MBTI. According to Wall Street Journal, they dropped many of the questions that Mr. Bem and his father found troubling in 2014. I mean, it's all better now. It's fine. It's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. Kroger, Dunkin' Donuts, McDonald's, and Macy's did not reply to the request for comment on the use of their personality assessments in hiring. Seriously, a personality assessment test to work at Dunkin' fucking Donuts? Come on now. Listen, they got to know if you're going to lie about the flavors or whatever. I mean, are you going to come in and make the donuts tonight? Got to make the donuts? I just, I worked third shift at Dunkin' Donuts for a while. It was, there are five people that come in overnight. Five people. They sit there and they drink coffee and that's it. (laughs) Sure, sure. The nonprofit organization that maintains Isabel Briggs Meyer's archives disputes Merv Emery's accusation saying, It takes its stewardship of Isabel's archives very seriously and has to limit access to protect the intellectual property, personal information, and the fragile historical documents it contains. Did she she write it on papyrus? It's just like the Vatican libraries. I've seen Hmm. the Dan Brown movies. Yeah. They have to protect that shit. (laughs) They really do. Hmm. So, yeah, it's great. The documentary itself is really good. It leaves me with an ick feeling. Me too. I guess I didn't know how much this was being used to determine fit for work, right? Fit for purpose, as it were. I've always had it done, like I said, after I've been hired as enrichment or just for funsies, which is, I feel like, how it should be done. Yeah. It's almost like your credit score. I feel like we do credit really fucking poorly here. Right. It has, it's not predictive of whether or not you'll be a good employee, but they were shopping it around and they're like, we need some more business for this thing. And they were like, Hey, employers, Mm -hmm. maybe you should check this. Um, And so that is still a thing that I have done. (laughs) That is part of a lot of job applications is to provide your credit. God forbid something happened to you. And your credit score drop. It takes five minutes for your credit score to drop 200 points. It takes five years to build that back up in this country. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's sort of, again, the same, like a different side of the same coin. Like they're trying so hard to figure out because like the labor of any business is a really big um, cost. And so they're trying to get it right, but not really for employee benefits, it's for their benefit. Well, and I I could save them a lot of money and time. Take the time to hire correctly, yes. But also take the time to take care of your employees, help them grow, give them money, make them feel safe and secure. And your employees will stay and your company will benefit. Turnover is the highest cost that they have. And yet they don't give a shit about that. They just, as long as they use this Myers-Briggs or whatever to hire the right person, well, guess what? They're not going to stay if you treat them like shit doesn't matter how good of a fit you think they are. And that's what pisses me off is you're going to spend money and do this instead of spending that money and on your employees. Yeah. They're not stupid either. Employees are pretty smart. And then you get pissed because they go and get a better deal from themselves, which is exactly what you've pushed them to do. Yeah. And then you're like, we totally can match that. Nope. Too late. Absolutely. I don't trust you. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, diatribe over. Mm -hmm. Did you have a honorary errand for today? My honorary errand for today, and it was hard because there were a lot of amazing people in this documentary. I'm going to choose Lydia because they're feisty as fuck. They told it like it was. They're fighting for people. And I feel like we as errands are also feisty. We cuss a lot. And deep down, we want the world to be a better place. So... I love her. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with Merv because she's a badass. Yep. So she came on with a leather coat. You knew she's Uh, a badass. (laughs) 100%. 
she, I don't know, I really liked her energy in this. I like the fact that she's trying to shed some light on, on different things. Who would have ever thought of the impact of a stupid ass personality test? And then it's like wreaking havoc on people's lives. I mean, we got big problems in this country, right? I would not have ever thought that this was one of them, but I'm really glad now that I know. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. This is a good documentary. Right. Everyone should watch it. And if you want to take a personality test for fun, do it. But only for fun. Yeah. Mm. Agreed. Okay. So next week, we're going to do a documentary called Jasper Mall. Mm-hmm. It's a 2020 release, one hour and 25 minutes on the Amazon Primes. And it's a year in the kind of a year in the life of the dying mall in Alabama. So I think malls were big when I was a kid. I think they're less so now. And so we're going to get kind of a firsthand education on how it happens. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting that you have malls like that, that still have stores in them. We, there, there are one or two around Indianapolis that when I first moved here 500 years ago, they were like thriving malls. I mean, there was a Cinnabon mm-hmm. and that's the only reason I went to the mall was the Cinnabon <laughs> to get the milk a lot of crack. But yeah, now there's like two stores in them and you're like, how are you in business? These are big buildings that probably cost a lot of money to maintain, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what goes on. You got the mall walkers. You got to keep them happy. Yeah. You got to stay open for them. Mm-hmm. I marvel at our local mall that I go to. And every time I'm in there, there's a new store. And I'm like, what is the store? All the time. I was just in there yesterday and I'm like, what are this? Yeah. Every time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, while it's interesting for my just general knowledge, I just, it, it's indicative that there's not a lot of stability there. So, mm-hmm. All right. With that, I hope everyone has a lovely week and we will talk to you later. Later. Bye.